good afternoon and good evening according to the time and place you listen to us at this moment. My name is Armando Conte and you are listening to the series Governance in Africa Conversations from the Center of African Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, part of the University of London in the United Kingdom. This program is a part of the Governance for Development in Africa initiative funded by the Moore Ibrahim Foundation. The initiative aims to enable Africans to improve the quality of governance in their countries by supporting them to develop skills and talents within an expert academic environment. The focus is to study both the legal aspects of governance and the relationship between governance and economic development. The studio guest today is Dr. Jibrin Ibrahim, Director of the Center for Democracy and Development, a regional research advocacy and training center based in Nigeria. Dr. Jibrin, welcome to SOAS and thank you for talking and sharing with us your expertise and knowledge on African governance. It's a pleasure. First of all, what does the Center for Democracy and Development do? The Center for Democracy and Development is a research and advocacy organization that addresses a number of key issues that we believe are central to the future and progress of Africa. First of all, we work on elections and political parties, how to improve the quality of elections in Africa, because we believe the future of Africa will have to depend on the people making choices. And for them to make choices, they must be able to elect the leaders they would want to exercise leadership. Secondly, the center does research and advocacy on what we call people-centered development. What this means is that we try to focus on key issues that will improve the lives and livelihoods of our people in West Africa. This includes a focus on achieving the Millennium Development Goals, as well as trying to engage in budget monitoring to make sure resources available to public institutions are used for the public goods. Thirdly, the center has a focus on gender issues, and the point of departure here is that half of our people are women, and many of our societies have a series of discriminatory practices that make our women have lives of suffering and deprivation, and we feel we cannot have progress if half the population is subjected to conditions of life that are worse than those of the other half. Finally, we work on peace and conflict issues. West Africa in particular has suffered from considerable violence and conflicts that have shown the worst in human action. And we feel peace building is very central to the future development of West Africa. Dr. Jibrin Ibrahim, please share with us your understanding of the origins of a good governance standard. The 
concept of good governance emerged and was popularized in 1989 with the World Bank report on crisis and sustainable development in Africa. That report was a self-critique of the action of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund over the previous decade. That is to say, at the end of the 70s and at the beginning of the 1980s, structural adjustment policies were developed and basically imposed on African countries. What these policies did was to impose severe cuts in public expenditure that created severe crisis for the African people. After 10 years, the success of the structural adjustment program were, to put it mildly, catastrophic. That is to say, the expectation that the economies would revive never occurred. And it was in that context that the Bretton Woods institutions started asking themselves questions on why their policy prescriptions did not lead to the expected outcomes. In 1989, therefore, they came up with this report that emphasized the issue of poor governance, that economic policies in, their, in themselves are not sufficient to correct the economic ills of the continent, that they must be accompanied by an improvement in the governance regime of African countries, and that therefore it is this combination of improved economic policy with improved governance that will create the conditions for an improvement in African economies. And how does the standard shift from uh, good governance to democratic governance? Well, I think the first issue is to uh, try to understand what's the content of the good governance itself. The content of good governance is that the problems of Africa related a lot to high levels of corruption and high levels of arbitrary rule. That is to say, people who occupied positions of power used power for personal accumulation and self-aggrandizement. To be able to do that, they developed authoritarian regimes where citizens were subjected to all types of deprivation and violation of their rights so that their rulers would continue to steal from the public treasury with impunity. What became clear to the Bretton Woods institutions is that in most African countries there was a very high level of corruption. And that corruption was accompanied by authoritarianism. The basic scenario was that African rulers suppressed their people, oppressed them, violated their rights, so that they will continue to steal from the public treasury with impunity while their people suffered in silence. These were the conditions that led to really serious 
problems of lack of security for the majority of the people as the purpose of governance became the self-aggrandizement of the rulers. The content proposed of good governance, therefore, was the edification of the rule of law and the promotion of transparency and accountability in the process of governance. The World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and many Western donors correctly stressed, placed emphasis on the importance of this promotion of transparency, accountability, and the rule of law. The idea, therefore, was that the combination of good economic policies with improved political governance will create conditions in which the economic policy would lead to improved livelihoods and improved uh, production of public goods for the people. Now, after another decade of good governance, however, it became clear that the focus of uh, Western policy prescriptions for Africa was really on the fight against corruption. But the fight against corruption was not successful because the political leadership of most of these countries never changed. And the issue of accountability cannot be addressed without addressing the issue of the franchise and people making choices in terms of leadership that they would want. It was in that context that many of the people of Africa agitated for, struggled for, the return of pluralist democracy. The movement, therefore, for good gov- from good governance to democratic governance is a popular movement rooted in African realities. Africans felt all over the continent that they have suffered from too many decades of authoritarianism. Don't forget, when you take African countries uh, as of the time of independence, by the time we came to the 1990s, only three African countries had retained the democratic constitutions that independence came with. These were Botswana, Senegal, and Mauritius. All the other countries in sub-Saharan Africa had witnessed the evolution of either military regimes or tyrannical civilian regimes that throughout the independence constitution instituted one-party regimes or military dictatorship and installed a regime of terror against the ordinary people. It is in reaction to that history, therefore, that Africans all over started campaigning for a return of pluralist democracy. And their idea is that it's not enough to have transparency and accountability combined with economic policies if the people themselves, if the citizens themselves, were not in control of the affairs of states. And it is in that context that 
by the time we came to the end of the 1980s and the early 1990s, the demand for the organization of national conferences and the return of pluralist democracy then became the center of African political life. Dr. Jibrin Ibrahim, your Nigerian national, um, born in Nigeria. How does your work in Nigeria shed light on the problems of the rest of the African continent? Well, we believe Nigeria is an interesting country in terms of the governance debate and governance issues in Africa for at least three reasons. The first is that uh, in this context of a return to pluralist democracy, Nigeria is among those countries where the exercise of the franchise of the people has remained a major challenge. Uh, we have had a return of pluralist democracy for 10 years, and in that 10 years we've had three elections. Each of those elections was worse than the previous one. It means Nigeria is one of the countries in Africa where the learning about improving elections and democracy is not happening. What are the reasons for these challenges to the promotion of democracy? We think studying and analyzing those challenges is creating lessons of what not to copy for other African countries. The second interesting issue about Nigeria is that it's one of the few federal regimes in Africa. And what federalism does is that it challenges the notion of the unitary state. It disperses power uh, among different areas of the country and it establishes two levels of sovereignty. This is a way in which issues of national integration and challenges of ethnicity and regionalism can be addressed. And we feel Nigeria has rich examples in that context. The third interesting thing about Nigeria is the fact that it's a very large and populous country, a country with rich traditions, a free and powerful press, a vigorous civil society, and high capacity for mobilization and uh, creating inputs for people in the governance process. That happens a lot in Nigeria, but the Nigerian challenge is that this high capacity for action in civil society and within communities has not translated into significant improvements of governance. If Nigeria can discover the way of changing these dynamics and channeling them into ways of improving governance, then there will be great lessons for other African countries to share with. From Maghreb to South Africa, 
countries are struggling to institutionalize democratic governance without focusing in any individual countries. What do you think that has prevented African countries uh, from achieving the good governance goals? For us, we feel the weakness of democratic institutions has been the major stumbling block. After the return of pluralist democracy uh, in Africa in the 1990s, there has been significant regression on the democratic plane. Uh, West Africa, oh, Africa is one of the key regions in the world where we are having the return of dynastic regimes, of people who have occupied power, channeling those powers and transferring it to their children. We have seen that happen in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We have seen that happen in Togo. We have also seen many attempts in other countries to pursue that line. In Senegal today, there are attempts to create conditions for words child to take over. The second indication of this crisis of the consolidation of democracy has been the return of coup d'etat in many of our countries. We've seen the coup d'etat in Mauritania. We've seen the coup d'etat in Guinea-Conakry. Uh, and we've seen the frequent return of the military in Guinea-Bissau and the way in which in countries such as Guinea-Bissau the military is able to significantly impact on the political process. The third major indication of the crisis of our democracy in Africa has been the steady rise of criminality over the past decade. As uh, we are all aware, the Latin American drug barons have found rich grounds in West Africa in particular. And many of the countries in West Africa, Yaoundia country, Guinea-Bissau, uh, Guinea-Conakry, Mauritania, etc., are all becoming political systems in which money in the hands of the drug barons is beginning to significantly influence and control the political process. What all these means is that accountability is no longer to the citizen. Accountability is not to the people. It's to the barons, to the coup plotters, to the military who have retained a significant stranglehold on the political process. These democratic challenges, therefore, creates difficulties for good governance regimes to be successful. And I think, in a sense, the real challenge of good governance is really bringing the citizen back to the center of the political process, and that's not happening for the moment. With a few exceptions, elections in Africa are often marred by violence and accusation of fraud. What do free, fair, and transparent elections look like in Africa? 
Can you give us some examples? Let me say the issue of excessive levels of fraud and violence in African elections is only one side of the story. There's a second side of the story, which is that in many African countries, credible elections are emerging as the order of the day. We are proud that in Liberia and in Sierra Leone, two countries that went through the decade of vicious civil war, you have today elected regimes in power. We have the story of Ghana, a country that's held five successful elections, each one freer, fairer, and more transparent than the previous one. This means there is a culture of free and fair elections that I imagine. Don't forget that even the most, some of the most uh, problematic elections in Africa, the Kenyan elections and the Zimbabwean elections, the content of the election was largely free and fair. That's why people know what the scores in these elections were. And that was why when the issue of changing results and fraud arose, the level of violence in those societies increased significantly. What we are saying, therefore, is there is a learning process as well as a struggle for the uh, inauguration of free and fair elections in Africa. However, the other side of the story is that in many African countries, elections remain extremely problematic. In uh, Cote d'Ivoire, for example, this is now the sixth year in which the promise to organize elections has not been held. And each year, we are fed stories of how the conditions for elections are being laid, but those elections never get organized. In a sense, the saddest and uh, most terrible story of African elections is that of Nigeria, where in 10 years of democratic rule, each election has been less free, less fair, and more fraudulent than the previous one. That shows the sad story of de-learning or unlearning how to organize free and fair elections and transforming elections into processes through which leadership are imposed on the people against their personal will. The point I'm trying to make, therefore, is that there is a bifurcation in the culture of elections in Africa with certain countries developing the culture and the capability to organize free and fair elections, while other countries are maintaining the history of fraudulent and violent elections. What's important, therefore, for Africa is to create conditions under which more and more countries in the region will move towards the good story of the organization of free, fair, and transparent elections.
And finally, Dr. Jibrin Ibrahim, you are a renowned academic from African continent, but also been um, uh, hailed uh, in um, you know in international scene for your works and your research and your your, your writings. Uh, I understand that you have a, a book coming on uh, soon. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and uh, the title and what the book is about? Well, the book I'm writing is the story of electoral reform in Nigeria and the struggle of the Nigerian people to regain the franchise they have lost to fraudulent uh, politicians. I had the privilege of serving in the Electoral Reform Committee established by President uh, Eradua in Nigeria. And during that walk, we traversed the length and breadth of the country to engage Nigerians into what to do and what to do about the history of fraudulent elections in our society. A number of very inspiring issues came up in the context of that work. The first is that the great majority of the Nigerian people are committed to having an opportunity to exercise their franchise, to choose the leaders they want. In spite of a long history of fraud, Nigerians continue to mobilize for elections, they continue to campaign for their candidates, and they continue to try to vote for those they want. Often frustrated, but they never give up. The second issue that arose from the work we have done is really to uh, see the contradiction between the Nigerian people and their leaders. Nigerians' politics is characterized by a political class that's largely fraudulent, that has a history of the use of money and violence to get to power, and that therefore we have a situation where the political class does not reflect the bulk of the population. And this contradiction between the Nigerian citizen and their political leaders is a contradiction that must be resolved in the interest of the citizen. What the book therefore seeks to do is to just suggest ways of mandate protection, ways of mobilization of the people to ensure that the leadership that emerges in Nigeria reflects the desires and the choices of the Nigerian people themselves. Dr. Jibrin Ibrahim, Director of Center for Democracy and Development, Thank you very much for sharing with us your expertise on governance in Africa. It's a pleasure. This program is part of the Governance for Development in Africa initiative funded by the Moore Ibrahim Foundation in collaboration with the Center of African Studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies, part of the University of London. The initiative is made of four components, including the funding of two PhD scholarships per year, two fellowships at SOAS per year, one residential school in Africa every year, and the series of interviews you are listening to, Governance in Africa Conversation. To listen to this program again, or to listen to the other programs in the series, please visit the website www.governanceinafrica.org.